Welcome to Soul Cravings with psychotherapist and writer Karen Seeger. In her show, Karen talks about how to take care, cope, grow, and thrive through difficult times like change, anxiety, loss, death, illness, loneliness, and hopelessness. Karen draws on her knowledge as a therapist, her own life experiences, and offers support locally and globally, and records her shows on her orange houseboat on the River Thames. And now, over to your show host, Karen Seeger. Hello and welcome to this edition of Soul Cravings with me, Karen Seeger. If you've listened before, then it's great to have you back. If this is your first time, then I trust you will enjoy today's show. Today, I'll be talking to the author, speaker and coach, Kim Langley. Kim is based in Cleveland, America, and recently published a book called Send My Roots Rain. It is a companion on the grief journey, suitable for the individual grievers, people who want to run grief groups, people who are involved in the helping profession, like therapists, social workers, hospice workers, or palliative care professionals, and a lot more. Kim is talking to me about the book, about our own personal grief experiences, how we coped with it all, and she also gives advice if you yourself are interested in writing a book about things that you know a lot about or if you would like to talk, and also how to take care of yourself if you go through grief and if you work in the helping profession. Let's pop over and listen to the interview with Kim. Kim, welcome to Soul Cravings. Thank you, Karen. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really excited to speak with you about the topic of grief. Grief is very close to my heart and it matters a lot. You contacted me because you have published a collection of poetry, which is there to accompany people through their grief. And I love the title, Send My Roots rain. It sums up what grief is about because grief can really destabilize and unroot us. Yes. And we are so desperately looking for nutrition for our heart, for our spirit, for our hope. And I felt this topic, the book that you're going to talk about, fits so well with the title of Soul Cravings because we are craving for so much when we go through grief. Yes. So welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself? It would be my pleasure. So I make my living as a speaker and trainer. I give 75 to 100 workshops a year on topics including working with emotional intelligence and resilience, the science of happiness science of optimism and also just how to get along in the workplace and act like a grown-up. And I really, really love my work. And my avocation for almost since childhood, since Aunt Viola gave me my first book of poetry for my birthday when I was maybe 10, uh-huh. um, my avocation for a long time has been poetry. Now, I should cl- quickly clarify that I'm not a poet myself. The poems in my book are not by me. They are carefully vetted. I looked at a, approximately a thousand poems wow. to pick the 90 that are in this book. It's divided into four sections. 
that are themed on the light. So part one is dusk and twilight. Part two is sunset, where we actually talk about the death and the funeral. Midnight, which is the very difficult period after the funeral when the casseroles have stopped coming and you wake up in the morning and you realize this person's not coming back. This is the new normal and you're pretty sure you don't like it and you definitely didn't ask for it. And then the last section is starlight to dawn when you have incorporated the grief into your life. I resist language like closure because I don't personally believe and many researchers on grief also point out that you don't close the door on someone you loved. You learn how to integrate the pain of their loss into your daily life. And so these poems are with my reflections following them, and then each poem has a quote after it also. At the end of each section are mindful activities that people can choose to do or not do, and many of them involve journaling prompts. So if a person is guided to meditate or to keep a journal, There are lots of hopefully thought-provoking questions here that would provide food for that. So this companion is really at least three propositions in one book. There is the educational piece, there is the poetry, there is the the mindfulness exercise, there is the prompt for journaling, so if people want to take it forward into their own writing, that's beautiful. Thank you. hmm. Wrote it with dual purpose, that an individual griever could use it, or that a person who works with grievers, like the book has sold well, because I think it meets the needs of people in palliative care and hospice work and therapy and then the book can also be used by a group so one of the you know you don't have to get certified in it or anything you can just read the book and gather a group in your community or there's so many reflection opportunities built right into the book that the facilitator just has to kind of keep people on track and off they go you know Yes, I liked the comment when you went through the uh, stage three. Um, you said when the casseroles stop coming. Yes. And with that, I assume you mean when people stop coming by with food. But at some point, we end up being alone when people stop knocking on the door and stop asking how you are. So to have a companion and to have something that can be used with others, even on our own, but it makes us feel part of something bigger. Exactly. Karen, I'm, I love that you understand the mission here. The reason we subtitled it A Companion on the Grief Journey is because both I and the poets I chose, who all gave permission, of course, to be included in the book, are meant to be companions. Even if you're reading it by yourself, you don't have to feel alone or like you're the only one who's been through this because the, the material is carefully chosen to reflect every aspect of grief. You know, I interviewed dozens of people during the four years I worked on this, and I asked all of them, what's one thing you want the readers to know, or what's one thing you wish you had known when you were grieving yes. that, that you know now? And so the, the book is, I dare to say, blessed because it was so crowdsourced. You know, I interviewed just a wide variety of seekers and people who work with seekers like, you know, chaplains and clergy of every denomination and people who coach others and the book reflects their wisdom you know as well as whatever poor um, insights I have to bring to the situation and I don't honestly know if the UK is 
what you would call a death-averse culture. But Americans are very grief-averse. There are several movements underway now to educate Americans about grief because we get three days leave when there's a death. And sadly, in many workplaces, it's like, okay, funeral's over. Everything's back to normal. Yes. I don't think this is necessarily any different here, but the hospice movement obviously is is very big in the UK. Well, Um, it started in the UK, right? With Dame Cecily. Yeah, she's one of my sheroes. We're very proud of it. Um, And of course, you should be. It can do with a lot more funding, like many, many other things in life all over the yes. world. I would say just from looking at social media that we are less death adverse than we used to. Um, there's a lot yes. of effort made to talk, to talk about death, to educate people about uh, death and dying. And there are various uh, grassroots movements. I, I think we just need to stress again the non-denominational character of this book. Again, this this is really great also for the hospice movement because I sometimes hear that certain parts of the community feel perhaps underrepresented or that their needs, their cultural, their religious needs may not be addressed by mainstream services. Yes. Um, So again, it's a companion for for everybody. I'm keenly aware of that, what you said, because in interviews people would sensitize me to how chaplain, well, chaplains, in, at least in the United States, are often very educated to be able to minister to anybody. Yes. But pe- human beings being what they are, sometimes they come out of the, a particular tradition, and there are some people who think that the purpose of spirituality is to persuade others of the rightness of their position. And I am very allergic to that approach in as much as everybody comes to the end of life. The beginning of my book is poems about uh, anticipatory grief, you know, getting a bad diagnosis, caring for elderly parents, having to make horrifying decisions like whether to stop life support. There are actually poems about anticipatory grief and the emotions and that accompany that. And it's the second movement of the book that gets into the death itself. And I firmly believe that everyone has a right to come to grief from their own perspective with what the, without the additional stress of the person who's meant to comfort or guide them, trying to persuade them of a certain position. So I bent over backwards to include people from different um, yes. races and backgrounds yes. in the book while still vetting the poems for the best possible thought-provoking and or comforting message yes. to give to grievers. Yes. You know? You've really crafted this. And that's why I said I'm not surprised it took a year because when we read poetry, it's a living thing. We have to take it in. We have to feel it. This is not like a conveyor belt job. Yes. <laughs> it's something that we have to fit in with all the other feelings that we have and all the other challenges that we have in life. And you can't just switch it on and off. Right. And some people are afraid of poetry. So yes. part of the task in the introduction of this book is to ask people to think about whatever experiences they may have had in school with poetry, if they were negative or if they've been exposed to poetry that they don't understand or as one person said to me sometimes poetry makes you feel stupid this is contemporary and one of the things I have in the um, introduction is a quote by C.D. Wright who said poetry is nothing if not equipped for a crisis right so poetry really helps people put into words 
those emotions that they feel and recognize but can't articulate, that was one of the primary goals here to free people up in their grief yes. by helping them to befriend, if that's not too strong a word, befriend their grief. You have to go through it. One of those very sweet poems, one of them is called Grief Comes with a Ladder by Richard Solly, S-O-L-L-Y. And his first couple lines are, friend, you ask when it will end. All I know is that grief comes with a ladder though not for ascending. And then he goes on to talk about how you have to go down before you go up. And this is what's so painful about a grief averse culture, you know, is that people don't want to go down. They don't, they don't know that they can and should experience grief. Another poet, Carol Lynn Knight, um, like a knight in shining armor, it wrote one called Naming. And this is so short and sweet, beautiful. If I name this grief, define it with guilt and redemption, call it drowning, desolation, call it fire and stone, then I am bound to care for it like a stray cat I name that demands I feed him. Mm -hmm. He comes and goes, sometimes disappears for days, and then returns, insisting that I remember. Yes, I mean, is that a great description of the grieving process? Let's not give pep talks here. Let, let's comfort and give hope and talk about ways of coming to grips with this. But let's not be raw, raw, empty boosterism. That's almost offensive when you're in grief. And so I was careful to try and strike a balance. One of my favorite quotes in the book is Anne Lamott. And she says something like, you know, like after hard times, you feel like you have a broken leg and it might bother you when the weather is in the West, so to speak. I'm roughly paraphrasing here. The last line of the quote is, but eventually you can learn how to dance with a limp. I just love that idea that you will dance again. You will feel happy again, even though when as I know personally, when you're in the midst of grief, you really feel like you're circling the drain. You can't imagine being happy again. I think it's important to hear from some people, which is what part four of this book is about, that you, that you can feel happy again. But you shouldn't rush toward that yes. happiness. You should feel what you feel and process those feelings. That's where the work is. Yes, I, I agree with you because I think when we don't do this, it will take a lot longer and it will be a lot harder. And the impact on our mental health potentially can be that much more severe. Tell me a bit about your own grief experience, if I may ask. Of course. And, and has that led you to, to the idea of this companion? At the time, I was caring for my own parents, um, who were both in their middle 80s. And they had challenges, but they were doing pretty well. And over the course of the four years it took me to write the book, both of them declined pretty suddenly. And they died a month apart. In June and July, my manuscript was due September 1. You can imagine what it was like going through those weeks of hospice, which were amazing in their care. It was, of course, some of the worst days of my life. And then in so many ways, there were things to be grateful for. And then both my parents died. And I'm an only child. And I was the most, you know, the most prominent caregiver. I have a stepbrother who's 
great guy, but we're both out of town. And, you know, your listeners know how that is trying to care for elders when you're not in the same city. Yes. It was exhausting. And uh, my kids said, Mom, you're a machine. Like, we just can't believe how you keep going. And I said, well, I have a lot of support and you do what you have to do. But truly, when I came home from all that, you know, I was under a quilt for five days. So one of the things I share in the book is, yes, I think I took really good care of my parents. And I think I did a good job. And I had some panic attacks, you know, and I was having that frisson of fear every time the phone rang and and the number of their caregiver would come up. You know, I actually recommend a book called Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief, Uh because I had a lot of anxiety while I was grieving. And it wasn't something that I read that much about. So I've been trying to uh, help people recognize that this is not an unusual experience. It was certainly a big part of mine. Not, and, uh, not at all. And, and thank you for mentioning that. Because as, absolutely, there is so much to be worried about. There is the uncertainty whenever the phone rings, what now? And you can't come to a resting point. So, uh, and here uh, I am, a person with a mental health background, giving workshops on resilience and optimism, practicing those skills for many years in my own life. And still, it was very difficult. I think because that's what it is. And those of us who have some training, hopefully know perhaps a bit more about how how to handle it, but we can't make it go away. Perhaps we can recover a bit better. Yes, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you were under the duvet for five days. And that's a good place to be. And many people may find this a perhaps we can't afford it but b it's embarrassing it's perhaps a sign of weakness uh, what will people say stiff upper lip we've got to carry on but sometimes we do need a break I agree and I did carry on you know I'm self-employed so I mean I had jobs to do and I did them and you know not but but and I think it's really important to give yourself that time yes you know that you need and I tried hard to give myself permission because I'm a go-getter. So one of my friends gave me the image of um, a sheepdog, you know, the dog that gives the ram the eyeball and says, don't even think about it. And she said, I want you to have that image for yourself when you're tempted to take on too much because you're grieving and you, you know, you need to make time for that. And of course I do. So that's one of the things I try to support in the book is that while not wallowing, in grief, one needs to make time for it. Here's a quote that I really love um, from my dear friend, Susan, who I was accompanying. Um, She had ALS and she passed away. And she actually had quite a bit of influence on the book for me. And one of her sayings was, you know, I'd say, how are you doing this? Because ALS, such a difficult illness. And she said, well, I'm not saying I don't visit Pity City sometimes, but I'm careful not to build a house there. Well said, yes. So I took that to heart when I was going through my own grief challenges. Kim, what tips can you give to people who want to do something along the lines of what you have been doing or what you are doing? The writing, the publishing, but perhaps also the the speaking engagements. We might have people in our audience who feel quite passionate about topics or qualified to talk about topics. How do you How do you get involved in things like that? I guess I would say that one of the hardest parts about, for me, about either marketing the book or 
putting myself out there for speaking engagements on this topic is that it's a risk. It's a small risk every time you email somebody who you don't know and say, you know, I've done this work. I'm very passionate about it. Do you have an audience who would like to hear about it? Because what you're inviting people to engage with is so close to your heart. The way I get over that, I remind myself, and I suppose I'd remind your listeners, that if it's a topic that does good out in the world, make it not about you. It's not about you. It's about being of service and offering something to the world that you, the writer, know is very needed. And so you get your own ego out of the way. When I speak on this topic, kind of say to myself, okay, it's not about me. It's about the listeners. So my, my intention here is to be very active listening for the question that's between the lines or the question behind the question and to really offer something that helps people if, who may be stuck in grief. You know, we know from the research that there's a percentage of people who have very complicated grief and it's hard to keep moving through it. And I, I just have the intention of offering something through this book or through a talk that serves them. And that helps you not be so nervous or helps you pick up that phone. And Karen, I, I didn't know you. I basically did a, a Google search on podcasts related to grief or podcasts related to soul work. And up you came. And I thought, this sounds like my tribe. And so I wrote to you and, you know, bless your heart, you responded. So I would say to the listeners, just put it out there. If it's not accepted, that's okay. That wasn't place for you, but don't stop asking. We started out with you commenting on seeking and that they are seekers. So yes. really to seek out the seekers because those are the people who are looking to benefit, who need rain for their roots. Some of us perhaps feel well equipped to help watering somebody else's roots. But I guess we also have to water our own roots. So how do you take care of yourself? Because I can imagine this potentially can be very draining emotionally what you do. How do you make sure you don't take it all in? You don't take it all home? Yes. Oh, that's a great question, Karen. Um, well, that's true even, believe it or not, with... Um, some of the other topics that I speak on, like stress management and resilience and so on, because people will come up, they sense something in you and they'll come up at the break or stay after the class. So not taking it all home, you know, it's been something I've been working on a long time. And all of your listeners in the helping professions know that, you know, they're probably taking workshops on boundaries and self-care and so on. And I, I think the way I take care of myself is that I am intentional about building in breaks. So for example, everyone wants a speaker in the fall. September through the first week in December is very, a very busy season for most speakers. So I took five days before my birthday on October 7th, and I went to a hermitage. Right. And now, I didn't spend five days deep in prayer on my knees. You know, I accepted their gift of time alone in quiet. And I took my pile of books with me and my journal and I walked every day. And one day I left the hermitage and went out for ice cream. <laughs> you know, it was just a few days to myself. That's the longest I've ever gone into silence. How did you feel afterwards, after those five days? Restored. I tried not to should on myself. When I do self-care time, 
when I was younger, I would should on myself, you know, I should spend this time in meaningful activity. And I still do, you know, because I want to have a meaningful and um, self-examined life, but I don't should on myself like I used to when I was younger. If I, Here's one thing that might help your listeners too. I do keep a steady stream of things that help me going. So for example, I'm on Facebook because I follow a bunch of communities there that are grief positive or um, that teach me about positive psychology or the science of happiness. So my see firsts on Facebook are all wonderful groups that bring me support and help keep me on my feet and learning new things. So I guess the moral of this story is like, be intentional about keeping yourself green and growing. I have a spiritual companion, what some people would call an Anamkara. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see her every couple months, for kind of a checkup. She holds the mirror up to me. I've been in therapy a couple times when I had big discernments to make. So I, I, I mentioned some of those things in the book, like don't be afraid to reach out to other people who Absolutely. have expertise in areas that will benefit you. Absolutely. I, I see it as, as part of our self-care, as part of our self-development, not only when we have an urgent crisis, um, but as an ongoing network. The same goes for therapy. I increasingly offer extended one-off sessions for people who don't want therapy, who don't need therapy, but yes. who want to check in with somebody, who want yes. to have somebody hold up the mirror um, or a sounding board. It's useful for certain things. It's not helpful for other things, but I think it's great to have to do that. And I hope that by speaking with you today, we can help make some of those connections happen and uh, spread the word about this lovely book of yours. And as we've discovered, it can help and assist on so many levels um, because it's not just the poetry in there. There are also the mind, mindful exercises and the journaling prompts and it can be used for people who are experiencing grief to prepare themselves for grief that might be coming their way or while they are going through grief um, but also professionals who work and support people with grief so it's for a whole variety of audiences it can assist in so many ways Kim it has been lovely speaking with you Oh, Karen, I can't thank you enough because, you know, it's my deepest hope that this book just goes out and does good work in a world that needs it. Just before we go, I asked you to send me some photos of you um, yes. to, to put up and you sent me a lovely bunch. And there was one, no, actually two, with a dog. And yes. my, <laughs> my listeners will know I've got a dog who's patiently lying behind me on, on oh. the bed and is wondering <laughs> what's going on. Um, <laughs> tell me about the dog because the dog is helping with the display of the books. He is. He's my grand dog. He is right. my daughter's dog. He's my buddy. His name is Tucker. Um, he's a rescue and he's just the sweetest animal. You can see from the picture how patiently he sits in my arms and he's part terrier, part dachshund, part papillon. Well, I felt he did a very good PR job there. So well, I'm sure I will find use for that lovely picture. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. <laughs> Brilliant. I hope you enjoyed today's edition of Soul Cravings with Kim Langley. You can buy her book, Send My Roots Rain, on Amazon, Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble and other stores. All the information is in the description box 
underneath the podcast on Podbean or also on my website where there is a post about this interview. You can find it in the podcast Soul Cravings section. There is also information about a YouTube trailer that Kim has done and how to contact her and how to follow her on social media. I hope you have found this program of use. Check out all the other editions, including some which have also been on the topic of grief. You can also sample editions of my other podcast series, Cancer and You. Again, all the information is in the description box below. Wherever you are, whatever is happening, do take good care and I look forward to welcoming you here again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Soul Cravings with your host, Karen Seeger. You can follow Karen on Twitter, at Karen Seeger. Catch up with her articles, videos and work via her website, karenseeger.com. That's K-A-R-I-N-S-I-E-G-E-R.com.